it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. So said a famous comedian a number of years ago. And I think most of us can understand what he meant. Fear of death is something that many of us experience. In fact, some people have proposed that this fear is a central and universal experience of being human. We're the only species that we know of that has the mental capacity to contemplate and anticipate our own death. But this ability comes with a real downside. Our lives are forever overshadowed by the knowledge that no matter how much we grow, or develop, or achieve, no matter how many advances we make in medicine or technology, one day, all of our lives will end in death. We live with the constant reality that in the end, everybody dies. And so last year, a YouGov study in the UK reported that 40% of people in the UK are afraid to die. And 30% of those who said that, said that that fear affects their enjoyment of life. It gets in the way of just being able to enjoy this life that we have. And this fear of death was not just about their own death. In fact, ten times more people were afraid, were more afraid of the death of a loved one than they were of the death of themselves. And I think it's understandable that this fear of death has increased over the, the last couple of years. As we've daily watched the COVID-19 case numbers increase. And saw the reported deaths due to this illness rise to something like 6.5 million people. And all of this can have a serious impact on our mental health. On our well-being. And our day-to-day functioning. And so, a while back in the Irish Times, though a clinical psychologist was suggesting ways of trying to manage this death anxiety. Doing things like acknowledging our feelings or limiting our news consumption, switching off the news, talking to others, to friends, to family, or even seeking professional help. But as helpful as those suggestions are, the writer of Hebrews has a much better solution. In chapter 2 of his letter, he wrote about a champion. One who has defeated death and set us free from the fear of it. So this morning we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 down to verse 18, and Lorna's going to come And she's going to read for us this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Okay, so um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy 
and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you very much, Lorna. The initial readers of this letter, they had good reason to be afraid of death. They'd already been persecuted for their faith. Their property had been confiscated. Some of them had been imprisoned and attacked. And now this persecution was rising up again. But even worse than before. For them, being a follower of Jesus brought a real serious risk to their lives. But this passage told them that they didn't need to be afraid of death. Because if they trusted in Jesus, then Jesus was the author of their salvation. Now that word author can be translated in a number of different ways. It can mean that he is the source of the rescue plan. Or he is the pioneer who went before them to open up the way of salvation. Or he is the leader who is out in front leading us into life in all its fullness. Or he is our champion. Our hero who is defeated our greatest enemy. And so Jesus is the one who is bringing many sons to glory. Now that connects back to what we were looking at last week if you were here with us. As men and women, we are made in the image of God. But because of our sin, we have failed to live up to the, to the life that God created us for. We don't resemble Him in how we live. We don't relate to Him as our Lord. We don't rule His world with love. And we, don't, and we fall short of reflecting His glory in all that we say and do. God is the one, as we read here in verse 10, for whom and through whom Everything exists. But we fail to live for Him. We dishonoured Him. And so we were all heading to a lost eternity. Separated from God and all the good that He provides. But Jesus, as the author of our salvation, can rescue us 
from the depths of our sin. He is the one who is bringing many sons to glory. To the glorious future of living as children of God. Enjoying an intimate relationship with God. Daily depending on God. Living each day to honour God. And sharing in His glory. As heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. But this is only for those who trust in Jesus. Because Jesus alone is the author of salvation. He is the only source of redemption. He is the only pioneer who provides a way of deliverance. He is the only champion who can really rescue us. As Peter and John declared to the Sanhedrin, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the source of our salvation. But this is only possible because Jesus suffered for us. Look at verse 10 again. It was fitting that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect through suffering. Now this, this little phrase uh, confuses a lot of people, challenges a lot of people because they think, well, when was Jesus not perfect? When was Jesus not sinful, uh, sinless? When was there something wrong with him or something immoral in Jesus that he had to become perfect? But that's not what it means. Because the writer of Hebrews is very clear that Jesus was without sin. So what does it mean that Jesus became perfect through suffering? Well, it means that he became complete. It points to the reality that in order to be the source of our salvation, he first of all had to suffer. In order to bring us to glory, he first of all had to lay aside his glory. In order to become our champion, He had to go to the cross. Until he did that, he wasn't able to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. That's because in order to save us from our sin, Jesus first of all had to take upon himself our sin. So that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. As sinners, we were being kept outside of God's family forever. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 59. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. We were far from God. Rightly condemned by Him, heading to an eternity separated from Him. And we could do nothing to fix that problem. 
No matter how much we tried, no matter how many rules or rituals we followed, we could never make ourselves right with God. Even God's laws could not remove our guilt. So what Paul says in Romans chapter 3 verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. None of us will ever be able to stand before God and say, I got here on my own strength, or my own efforts, or my own goodness. The law does not help us to live in a way so that God is pleased with us. Instead, the law... As it says, through the law we become conscious of sin. The law points out all the ways that we've fallen short of God's standard. If we're here this morning, and we think that we're good people, if we think that we're here because we've tried really hard, because we keep the laws and other people outside don't, if we think that, then we'll be forever lost. No one will ever be be declared righteous in God's sight by keeping the rules. But because of his great love for us, Jesus took upon himself our sin. He suffered in our place. He died our death. As Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Through his sacrifice, Jesus bore the, the full weight of God's wrath against our sin. Jesus suffered so he could satisfy God's justice. He turned away God's anger. And he brought full and free forgiveness to all of us who have trusted in him. So if we're in Christ today, if we put our trust in him, we are declared righteous. We've been accepted into God's kingdom. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been welcomed into His presence. And we're held securely by His hands. And that's all because of the cross. Jesus is the source of our salvation because he suffered for us. But in order to do that, in order to suffer in our place, he had to become one of us. Look at verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. 
if Jesus was going to die under the weight of our sin, then he had to become fully human, just like us. Only one who is fully God and fully man could mediate between us and God. And so the writer of Hebrews, in order to show this, in order to to demonstrate this and prove this to his writers, who of course were predominantly Jewish believers, he went back to their Old Testament. He went back to their scriptures to show how this truth was revealed through the words of the prophets. First of all, you'll see in verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 12, he quoted from Psalm 22. Now, many of you will know that Psalm 22 is an amazing psalm. Yes, it was written by David to express his desperation, his suffering, his longing for God to help him to step into the situation he was in. But it, in an amazing way, points forward to Jesus' death on the cross for us. In fact, Jesus himself quoted from the psalm when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here the writer of Hebrews quoted from verse 22 of this psalm. Where the suffering, uh, the suffering one on the cross called us his brothers. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. He calls us his brothers. Because we're of the same family. The same human family. And then he quoted from Isaiah chapter 8. Now this is where Jesus is described as a stone that causes men to stumble. And as a rock that makes men fall. Again, a clear prophecy uh, pointing forward to the Messiah. And how many people will stumble over the person and work of Christ. But here as well as a quotation from verse 17 that declares his trust in God, he also quoted from verse 18, which shows his family relationship to all who trust in him. Here am I, and the children God has given me. We're his children. We're his family. Jesus is of the same family of us. We're his brothers. We're his kids. And this is such a crucial, a crucial truth for the gospel. Jesus had to become a human being. Because it's not angels he helps. But Abraham's descendants, remember in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, the writer has been challenging this idea of, oh angels, they're amazing, they're, they're higher, and oh well Jesus, he's not that important. And he's shown that Jesus is superior to the angels. How Jesus became a little lower than the angels, so he could taste death for everyone. That's all because Jesus did not come to rescue angels from sin. He did not come to reconcile fallen angels to God. He came to rescue the family of Abraham. 
that that doesn't just mean the Jews, the physical descendants of Abraham. Rather, this means all who follow in Abraham's footsteps of faith, whether Jews or Gentiles. As Paul said about him in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, he said that Abraham is the father of us all. Jesus did not come to rescue angels. He came to rescue men and women and young people like us. And so for this reason, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. We'll see a lot more about the priesthood of Jesus in this letter as we go through it. But here we can see that Jesus had to become like us in order to be able to represent us before God. In order to reconcile us to God by the sacrifice of himself. So here's the impact of what what the writer is saying here. Without the incarnation, there can be no salvation. Or to put it another way, without Christmas, there can be no Easter. Without Jesus becoming a son of man, we could never become sons of God. But because Jesus did become like us, His death has set us free from the fear of death forever. Look at these amazing verses, verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This verse says that the devil holds the the power of death. Jesus called the devil a murderer. That's because he leads people into sin and the wages of that sin is death. But perhaps it also is because he uses the fear of death as a terrible weapon to gain control over the lives of people. That's what he was trying to do in the lives of the, 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 the first readers of this letter. He was trying to use their fear of the violent persecution that was coming to tempt them to walk away from Christ. But Jesus' death on the cross destroyed the devil. Doesn't mean that the devil ceased to exist or to be active, but it means that he was rendered powerless. 
Speaking of Jesus, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2 and 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross looked like defeat. It looked like the powers of evil had won over Jesus. But through his sacrificial death, Jesus on that cross was taking the death sentence that we deserved. And so those of us who have trusted in Jesus are no longer under that condemnation. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. So we're no longer enslaved by that fear of death anymore. Yes, unless Jesus comes back first, physically we will all die. One day our bodies will stop working. After a game of soccer last night on the beach, it feels like it's going to happen sooner rather than later for me. But because of Jesus, we can face death with courage and with confidence. We can actually say with Paul, to me, for me, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Is gain. Death holds no terror for those who have trusted in Jesus. Because when we leave these bodies of ours, will be present with the Lord which is better by far and that doesn't even take away from the value or the meaning of our lives here on earth as if this is just a waiting room for heaven and, and what we do here doesn't matter not at all on the contrary, it is this reality that gives the ultimate value, the ultimate meaning to our lives. Because it means that death does not destroy everything that we live for. For those who don't have this hope, they are, they are I was going to say, they're killing themselves to do all of this. They're, they're living their lives to, in desperation to try and make something of their lives. They're, they're putting all their effort and, and, and strength into trying to build an empire for themselves. And one day it's all going to crumble and it's all going to mean nothing. But for us who have trusted in Jesus, everything that we do for the Lord is worthwhile and significant. For all eternity. Other people might not see it. Other people might not acknowledge it. We might not get slaps in the back and congratulations and thank you so much for all that you do. But what we do for Jesus matters forever. This is what the Apostle Paul concluded at the end of that amazing chapter 
on the, the, the truth of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus' victory over death sets us free from the fear of death and releases us to live radically, wholeheartedly, sacrificially for Christ. No matter what the cost. Because we know that what we have in Christ is an, inher- an eternal inheritance that can never spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you and for me. It's this truth that freed the apostles to risk everything. To stand in the face of incredible pressure and pain to share the gospel with this world. And this is the truth that will keep us living for Christ in this world. Knowing that nothing and no one can ever separate us from His love. But just finally, as we do this, the great truth is we don't need to do this alone. As our champion, Jesus did not just die for us. He rose again from the grave. And He ascended into heaven. And today, He lives for us. And verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The devil is defeated, but he's still active. We have been given eternal life, but still at times we're afraid of death. We have been made holy. But we're still tempted to sin. But the good news is, there's someone today in heaven who understands our weaknesses. Our champion is not some bulletproof superhero who is impervious to the suffering that we've gone through and unable to understand our struggles. Our champion is one of us. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer temptation. He knows what it is to be in pain. He knows what it is to be overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knows what it feels like to be completely alone and abandoned. So when we're struggling, when we're tempted to doubt, when we feel that we just can't go on, when we long for an easy way out, we can come to Him in confidence. 
that he sympathizes with us and that he is able to provide us the help and the support and the encouragement and the strength that we need. So as chapter 4 verse 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy. Mercy. And find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus understands our struggles. So he's merciful and he's gracious to us. So fear of death might be a central and universal experience of being human. But we don't need to be enslaved in it any longer. We have a better champion. The one who is the source of our salvation. Because he suffered for us as a member of the same family so that we could be set free from slavery to to the fear of death. And so that we could be strengthened to live in that freedom for his honour and for his glory. What an amazing saviour we have. He is all that we need.